0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Phyllis Titchenen is a retired farmer and soil scientist. She grew up in Northern California, watching fertile Santa Clara orchards and agricultural land being slowly paved over to make way for the growth of Silicon Valley, and it left an indelible impact. Phyllis joins us from Waipukuro, which is quite a distance from Santa Clara to Talk about cows. Yeah, cows. Phyllis, welcome to Reality Check Radio. Nice to have you.
1: Thank you. I'm pleased to be here, and I appreciate
0: the work you folks are doing. Big fan. Well, well, thank you so much. Now, I've always thought cows are beautiful animals. I
1: agree. I mean, you could easily fall in love with the face of a jersey.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's something about uh, that. they, They seem to be very honest in their disposition.
1: They are, and when you reflect on it, they're incredibly generous. That's the word yeah. I put to it. They I can see why they are considered sacred in many cultures and revered, because they do play as ruminants, as graziers, as you know, grass and hard carbon digesters. They play a very important role in recycling um, biologically produced plant material um, and converting it to humus, to poop, to soils, and to products that that we as humans and other predators can eat. And in the case of our more refined dairy and beef cows over the last several thousand years, incredibly valuable, fat-soluble vitamins. They're a very important source of those crucial hormones and um, biological activators, the fat-soluble vitamins A and D that we, we don't get enough of and are crucial for our health, our fertility, our brain function. So I'm a big fan of cows and they're their role not only in helping to regulate and enhance the environment and the landscape, but as a crucial source of resources to help for us.
0: So, why do you think, <clears throat> well, is it fair to say they have been, of late anyway, kind of demonized?
1: Yes, I would definitely concur with the demonization.
0: Yeah. It's okay. Just- here's, the, here's the first question by who? By who?
1: Oh, you want to get right down to the brass tacks here. Who's got the
0: problem with cows?
1: All right. This is slightly simplistic, but it's short. And it's the way I try to approach most scientific policy questions or scientific validity issues. And that is very simply... Um, to take the capitalist viewpoint and follow the money. Right. Who doesn't, who has a concentrated economic self-interest in there being less reliance on cows and low-cost environmentally restoring pastures and forests who could make even more money by cropping? as a source of our food as opposed to meat and fat-based products that we get from animals.
0: Okay, well I think it's pretty obvious <laughs> where that leads, right? That's yes. that's
1: it points to those that portion of the economy, particularly in the last you know, seventy-five years or so, who have created um synthetic substances to be um, imposed on the natural agricultural system to speed up growth, combat pests. Those sorts of synthetic chemicals are all biocides. They tend to kill the microbes and the other small critters in our ecos in our farming ecosystems and wider, a field than just in farming. And as a result, we become more reliant on their chemicals and the attendant antibiotics with the, with the crash of our health because the, the use of those synthetic chemicals as opposed to cooperating with nature, we're giving away our farming money or, or resources in the form of cash import chemicals that gradually crash the natural ecosystem we could be cooperating with and kind of bootstrapping off of to create not only nutrient dense healing food for ourselves, but um, collaborating with natural systems with ecological processes to actually restore the environment, improve the soil, get more productivity off of off of the land, but we're not doing that. We've been, for want of a better term, hoodwinked, gradually into believing that we cannot do it without chemicals, when in reality, we can do it better without them, if we understand and cooperate more with the natural ecological processes.
0: Surely farmers know this, because they've had cows grazing on, well, in this country, on the land ever since, since settlers came along and, you know, bowled over forests, and that possibly was a, maybe a bad idea at the scale they did it at. But, yeah. you know, they've had cows, plenty of cows, on lots of land for a long time. We we know this already, don't we?
1: No, we don't. Oh. In short. Or what? a lot of what we knew intuitively or that we learned from Grandpa uh, has been forgotten in the last couple of generations, given the narrative that's been created by the farm chemical industry, which in turn, I mean, they have a very, and have had for a while, a very powerful influence on the content of what happens, what is taught in our ag universities, what research gets done, and the mindset has gradually shifted to one that has forgotten the basic ecological principles. And so no, farmers don't understand that they can actually, they're dealing with a living landscape, both above the ground and below. And that it can be with the right conditions of biodiversity and not minimizing disturbance, which includes chemicals, um, keeping a living plant growing in the soil 24 seven, Treating the soil and that whole farm ecosystem as though it were a living organism, which an it is, entity, it, which it is, it is. It's which what it is. is. But, but we've we've developed. <clears throat> oh, this is you know this is a two bottle conversation, Paul. In terms of why have we lost that connection with our environment? Why do we see ourselves as separate, superior? brain powered and capable of driving it mindlessly through chemicals or just, you know, hard out um, tillage or reckless grazing or, you know, leaving the soil bare, all of those things. But I like a quote from uh, Ray Archuleta, who's a, uh, a, in fact a soil conservation service. Um, luminary in the regenerative agriculture line in the United States who started a lot of this farmer education which led to the regenerative agriculture. And he says um, you know the soil is naked hung naked starving and running a fever. You know that's no way to treat your mother. Wow. <laughs> And that's what we've come to now in this approach of a chemical um, imposition, and we're treating as one. Uh, we're treating our soils like dirt.
0: I mean, it's negative. like a bullying of nature. We're like yeah. bullying nature. Good
1: way. Good way of putting it. It's yeah. it comes from a you know millennia long. Um, maybe only thousands of years separation sense of separation from between ourselves and our environment. we no longer see ourselves as an organism of the environment we're in. We think we're separate, but all of this research that's come about particularly in the last twenty or thirty years on how microbially our physical systems are. It's very, very humbling, and I think one of the main problems we have is we just want things to be simple, just linear, simple, just, you know, read the instructions on the back of the barrel and do it. And easy and convenient, result,
0: right? So yeah, just make and- it
1: convenient. But a convenient is not what we need here. We just need acceptance of complexity and think, you know, would I – would I do this to my child? You know, would I really want to treat well, well, actually, my child? Actually,
0: that I don't way? know the answer to that question anymore <laughs> either. <laughs> well, Given what, what some people are doing with their children these days, but can I yeah. just run through a few points? Sure. Um, because it seems, and you're talking about, you know, the sort of the agricultural, industrial complex. Let's say in the way that that's had that, um, I guess, control or influence over the last, and you put it at 75 years. They must be in hog heaven now. That there has been some kind of link made in the uh, global warming um, hysteria, whatever you want to call it, um, with now um, cows, that sort of livestock, that sort of farming, contributing to global warming. So they must be in in heaven to be able to use that argument now, because a lot of people, a lot of people buy that.
1: There's been a lot of money put into driving that agenda. I suspect there's been a fair amount of, you know, what we call PAC money in the United States, political action group, um, lobbying money, research money, payments from various and sundry foundations to groups that push the agenda that we need fewer grazing animals, we need fewer cows. Cows are destructive. I'm the first one to admit, absolutely, that that confinement farming or CAFOs, industrial feedlots, confined chickens is abhorrent. We That should not happen. It doesn't need to happen. But it's become a very convenient way for the U.S. in particular, and in the last 20, 30 years, genetically modified corn and soy, creating huge, expanses in the Midwest that are monocultures and soak up huge amounts of very profitable chemicals in the process. That is not the way nature would like to see it done, so to speak. That destroys soil, creates erosion, um, causes cancer, and produces a really poor quality of food that is slowly killing us and contaminating our water and air. So not a good idea to do it that way, but that is not the only way. And in New Zealand, we have a grass-based system. We have the potential truly to, to lead the world, not only in sequestering carbon and truly farming green, but creating the um, the meat and the butter and the eggs, that, that are medicinal they're not just nourishing and you know stuffing our face with food they cure disease but we can't do that unless we actually do have truly healthy soils and that's nearly impossible with the use of chemicals.
0: you've got people who claim to be pro the environment and standing up for the environment um, who are basically siding with the industrial, agriculturalists in the end, which seems to be, you know, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. kind of doesn't make sense. You, you become a useful idiot in a way in that situation. So you've got the Greens, for example, literally calling for, you know, animals to be taken off farms, to to shrink this sort of farming, the grass farming that you're talking about, not the industrial yeah. farming. Um Yet you'd think that if they were of that thinking, they would understand what you've just been talking about. This is a natural system. You're talking about natural organic systems that have, you know, evolved over and which we're part of, you know, we're wired into it as well. They seem to ignore that conveniently. I I just don't get that.
1: Okay. Uh, In defense of Greenpeace, for example, just to be specific, and I imagine this is a similar sort of, um perspective voiced in the Green Party. Yeah. There is a poor understanding of the science behind this. And it's much easier to go with a common accepted narrative that cows are bad and we need to get rid of cows. That's the solution. Than it is to to sort of ask for more scientific open inquiry. Are they really the problem? Here, are we getting the straight story? What's the actual ecological science behind this? And this is not being done adequately. I mean, I give, um, I acknowledge, Greenpeace has shifted their their policy or their narrative in the last four or five years to move beyond just dissing cows to actually saying, well, really, the problem is the overuse of urea that you know pollutes um, our waters. What most people don't realize is that the overuse of urea then prompts more need for antibiotics. It prompts undernourished or malnourished cows. And in that state, when you have a lot of urea nitrogen, loose in your soil system, getting taken up into ryegrass and clover, highly non-diverse pastures that are grazed too low, you then end up unbalancing the rumen microbiology in the cow's gut, which is based around a nitrogen to carbon ratio. All microbes need a certain nitrogen to carbon ratio, which kind of never gets get more than about one to 10, one to 15, one part nitrogen and then 10 or 15 parts of carbon. If you have too much nitrogen in the system, you run low on the carbon. And as a result, you shift the population of microbes in the cow's rumen to cope with that excessive, unnatural really, level of nitrogen. And the result of that excess nitrogen from the urea fertilizer coming into the cow's gut is you get more methanogens. You get methane generating bacteria in dominance, and they're the ones who burp out the methane. So if, and this is, well documented but but certain portions of the US or the US the New Zealand egg um, research organizations have missed that basic ecological fact. It's not the cows that innately produce large and constant volumes of methane. It depends on what they eat which depends on the kind of pasture they're eating and the quality of the soil and their fertilizer program. Okay, so less urea, very grossly, generally equals less methane and less nitrate in the pea. So Greenpeace is right. We need to be putting less nitrogen, less synthetic fertilizer into the whole system. And then the methane issue becomes kind of moot, because once you have healthy soils, and yes, cows burp. There is some methane generated. Everything burps. Everything burps. (laughs) But when you have healthy soils that aren't being nuked by chemicals, you have another class of useful insects on the top layers of the soil and on the leaves of the vegetation called methanotrophs, which means they eat methane. So they're just hanging out there in a healthy system. We're just waiting for waiting it, yeah. to scavenge mm-hmm. up any excess methane.
0: Okay. So 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 there, there's there's a again, it's a uh, the way you're putting it, there's a misunderstanding of how things work fundamentally. But also it's kind of crazy that the the, the process that you're just being talk, talking about, which is not a natural process, which is setting up this, mm-hmm. is used then as the reason or, or, or that's not seen as the reason why there's a problem. It's the, it's sort of the end state, the poor old cow who's got really no choice but to be in this sort of loop. Is, is kind of the fall guy for all of this. You yes,
1: know? yes. Plus, cows grazing ruminants, uh, any graziers in an ecosystem. All ecosystems need graziers, whether it's uh, grazing animals as part of the natural balancing otherwise the they wouldn't oxygen.
0: exist right otherwise they wouldn't well, be it would they would
1: kind of fall apart and degenerate they're massive digesters there's a lot of carbon in a grassland or in a open forest land that if it wasn't grazed either by cows or rabbits or deer or mice and voles you know pick your grazier and it would in effect create a um it would dry out, it would accumulate, it would not be digested and returned in the form of poop to the soil to help create a richer soil. It becomes a fire hazard, okay? And in that state, when you don't have grazers, you, must, you vastly increase your risk of wildfires, which definitely are not good for the climate or the soil or balance. I mean, yes, we need you know occasional gentle fires moving through. It's all part of the system. But when you when you take away the graziers or you don't follow ecological regenerative principles in your farming and harvesting practices, you will create massive disruption and the disasters that we're seeing. Because we're not, you, we, here, sorry, this is a, I know this is a complex topic. I don't like to keep going on and on, but there's a whole nother aspect to the the presence of cows and graziers helping grasslands, I'll just stick to grasslands for now, stay greener for longer because the cows will uh, come by, use cows and they'll, if they're in the right, higher densities. It does take higher densities of cows like we had um, the example of the American um, Midwest where they had Millions and hundreds of millions of bison and deer moving from Texas to Michigan, you know, for six months and turning around and coming back. They were always looking for green grass, and they were creating green grass behind them. Same thing with the um, the steppes in Russia and the you know the gazelles in Africa. They move intensively as a big herd slowly forward. You know, shoulder to shoulder, eating, you know, chomping down everything, trampling it, pooping and peeing out the back end. So you have, you know, behind them, you have this horrible looking pasture, but it's actually creating the perfect conditions for soil feeding, microbe feeding, regeneration. So you're looking for more green area for a longer period of time. Now, that's important because. We need the green because it's the green grass that transpires um, vapor, water vapor out of the plant's stomata, Plants sweat, right? Plant sweat cools the planet because it takes a heck of a lot of energy to transform water from a liquid to a gas. That's why it seems to take so long for the kettle to boil. It's, yeah. it's not quite boiling, it's not quite boiling, and then suddenly, oh, hallelujah, it's finally boiled. because You have to put so much energy in there to get it to take that last step, that last leap from a liquid to a solid. And that energy input comes from the surrounding environment for the plant, the grass plant, or the tree. And that sucks heat out of the immediate surface area turns it into a gas where it pulls it transports that heat upward as it rises as water vapor okay that's a major hydrologic cooling cycle of the planet that cows and trees play for play that they play for us for the environment that we are ignoring then just to make it more complicated that water from the water vapor also takes microbes up from the leaf surface.
0: Oh, it's, it, oh, it lifts it off, right?
1: It lifts it off. Those, those what we call, um, well, they're bacteria. We call protobacteria. Some of them have names like um, Pseudomonas, uh, Syringiae, or um, Bacteria aeruginosa. They're airborne. They're, they're bacteria that can become airborne. They're part of the natural system, and what they do once they get up to the higher levels of the atmosphere, they're up there all the time, miles above us. They are so small, they create the major source of what we call bionucleation. They create the center, the nucleus, the precipitating little tiny element that has to happen for a raindrop to form, Okay, for raindrops to coalesce. So we it all becomes part of this amazing Gee,
0: I didn't know that. cycle <laughs> where
1: we create rain from plants. And if we're not, if we have bare ground, we don't get that. If we've taken away the forests, we don't get that. And one of the fastest ways of of creating long grain is through grazing animals like cows. We can do it year-round here in New Zealand while we sequester tons of CO2 and if we want to collect um, carbon credits for that as another source of income for farmers. so don't kick the cow this, <laughs> yeah. she's you know she's she's Give your salvation break.
0: yeah um, okay so just to, to finish up this chat it's been really interesting. it seems to me that then we're at a crossroads right now, are we? We can go two two ways here. And I, and I take it there's still time to do the right thing, probably always time to do that. But it sounds like we're at that, that point, are we?
1: Well, I like to think of nature as being forgiven and, and echo your, you know, there's there's it's always the right time to do better. I think we have let ourselves be led down a path of relying on institutional data and linear science rather than actually understanding and embracing the complexity of our landscape of our ecosystems and being more nurturing focusing on practices actually regenerate our environment and farming is one of the better ways of doing that we just are pushing s uphill When it comes to the predominant narrative of, you know, there's no way to be profitable in farming unless you use these chemicals. Um, We can't do organics because your production will drop by 30%, and hence your profit. All of that is unfounded. We need more education, we need more demonstration, we need more understanding of the basic principles of ecology as they apply to farming, because farming is our salvation, and cows are definitely part of that.
0: It's been really interesting chatting with you, Phyllis.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and uh, there's a lot to think about there. Phyllis, Tichet Soil Scientist, sticking up for cows. They are our friends. And um, I'm going to go away and think about that, and our listeners will too. So thanks for coming on RCR. Yeah, my pleasure. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.